This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, April 13th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. The Biden administration recently sent a letter to every state's attorney general warning them if they didn't comply with so-called gender-affirming care procedures for children, they could be violating civil rights laws. But just what is gender-affirming care and how does it impact kids? Heritage Foundation's senior research fellow at the Center for Religion and Civil Society, Jay Richards, joins the show to answer that question. He also discusses gender ideology and reveals how the Biden administration is pushing it onto kids. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Jay Richards, let's hit our top news stories of the day. The numbers are in and inflation is up. The cost of consumer goods you and I buy every day was up 8.5% in March compared to the same time last year. That's according to the Consumer Price Index. Inflation has not reached that high since December 1981. Food prices in particular were up an 8.8% jump in March compared to the previous year. Energy prices were up as much as 32% compared to March 2021, and airline flights were also up more than 23%. But on a positive note, senior U.S. economist at Capital Economics Andrew Hunter said he believes the March increase will mark the peak for inflation. New York's lieutenant governor has resigned after being arrested and charged with bribery. Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin, a Democrat, was arrested Tuesday as part of a federal corruption investigation into what authorities said was a plan by Benjamin to trade campaign contributions for a state-funded grant. Federal authorities accused Benjamin of colluding with real estate developer Gerald Migdal. They say that the lieutenant governor received campaign funding from Migdal in exchange for using his prior position as a New York state senator to direct state money to a nonprofit run by the developer. In addition to bribery, Benjamin faces charges of fraud, falsification of records, and conspiracy. CNN reported that Damian Williams, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, said of the case, This is a simple story of corruption. Taxpayer money for campaign contributions. Quid pro quo. This for that. That's bribery. Plain and simple. Benjamin pleaded not guilty and is currently out on bail. A new law in Oklahoma makes abortion illegal. On Tuesday, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed into law a bill that makes it a felony to perform an abortion in the state. Those who do perform abortions could face up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. The new Oklahoma law does not authorize charges to be brought against the woman who had the abortion, though. It does give an exception for abortions to be performed in the case of saving a woman's life. During the bill's signing ceremony on Tuesday, Republican Governor Stitt said he promised Oklahomans that he would sign every pro-life bill that came across his desk. Abortion rights advocates say the law is unconstitutional and will likely be challenged in court. Meanwhile, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to announce its decision this summer in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which could overturn Roe v. Wade and send abortion rights back to the state to decide, meaning that this pro-life law in Oklahoma largely hinges on what the Supreme Court does this summer. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Jay Richards on gender-affirming care and the Biden administration. As conservatives, sometimes it feels like we're constantly on defense against bad ideas. 
bad philosophy, revisionist history, junk science, and divisive politics. But here's something I've come to understand. When faced with bad ideas, it's not enough to just defend. If we want to save this country, then it's time to go on offense. Conservative principles are ideas that work. Individual responsibility, strong local communities, and belief in the American dream. As a former college professor and current president of the Heritage Foundation, my life's mission is to learn, educate, and take action. My podcast, The Kevin Roberts Show, is my opportunity to share that journey with you. I'll be diving into the critical issues that plague our nation, having deep conversations with high-profile guests, some of whom may surprise you. And I want to ensure freedom for the next generation. Find The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Jay Richards, the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow in Heritage's DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be with you. Great. You recently wrote an article for The Daily Signal Mm -hmm. titled, Biden Doubles Down on Radical Gender Affirming Care for Kids. Let's kind of define our terms before we start here. What does that mean? What is gender affirming care? Okay. So gender affirming care, according to Biden's Health and Human Services Department, refers to something that people that follow this uh, gender ideology call the Dutch protocol. So Mm. it's essentially based on a single study in the Netherlands with 54 subjects and no control group that basically argues that the proper standard of care for children who have gender dysphoria um, is this sort of four-step process that starts with social transition. So, you know, pronoun changing, referring to a boy as a girl, her gender identity is female, uh, followed, if they're not in puberty, by puberty blockers Mm -hmm. to delay the onset of puberty, followed by cross-sex hormones. Mm -hmm. So for girls, that would be testosterone, followed by surgical intervention. So it's that four-step process that, you know, gets called all sorts of euphemisms, transition or whatever. But according to President Biden and his administration and his HHS, that is called gender-affirming care, where you, just to be clear, where you set a child on the pathway starting in school and ending in sterilization. You mentioned that this was based off of one study out of the Netherlands. Is it really based on such... What to me flimsy evidence that it's just one thing? It is. That's what's so bizarre about this is if you dig into it. Now, we're told that this is sound science. Mm-hmm. It's this one study in which they did this. And the, the study itself, I mean, we could spend five minutes on it, is really, really weak. But mm-hmm. even if it was good, it would be a single study. So you, you don't take one study in a foreign country with very few subjects and use that to implement a draconian nationwide uh, medical intervention, which right. is what we're talking about. Uh, this is how bad it is, is that countries that are sort of over this cliff farther than us, countries like Sweden and Finland and the UK, they have now put the brakes on. Mm. So they were following the Dutch protocol. Sweden was way ahead of us on this. Uh, they, they've since noticed that actually this doesn't seem to have any positive outcomes. If you're imagining that uh, the child's psychological health will improve, mm. that presumably be why you would do this. Well, you can track that. They've been doing it long enough to to notice, actually, this doesn't seem to have any sort of positive effect. By the way, there are also some very severe costs on the other side. And so they're slowing down just as President Biden has decided to hit the accelerator. You mentioned that this study did have some problems. What are some of those issues? Well, it was very small, so it's not powerful. You have 54 subjects, which is really not surprising if you think about it. You know, right. You're in one small country. You're not going to have thousands of subjects to do this, but there's also not a control group. So in mm-hmm. other words, you need to have, uh, let's say you're going to have 54. So you have a, a group that you run the run the test 
tests on, right? So you mm-hmm. do these interventions. And then another group that's comparable in every way, same age, demographics, of in this case, it'd be teenagers presenting with gender dysphoria. And then you'd track both groups. And mm-hmm. so what you what if you this was going to be positive, you'd say, well, it turns out when we compare these groups, say five years out, uh, the kids who have been put through the Dutch protocol are much better off. They're much mm-hmm. better adjusted socially. They're much happier. Those sorts of things. We don't have anything like that. And so the, you don't even know, okay, what are we comparing this with? And so it ends up being, well, it would be their kind of their self-report previously versus afterwards, which might be something. Uh, but when you dig into it, it's really not even clear what that is. This mm-hmm. very much looks to me like this was agenda-driven research. And that's unfortunately the problem with a lot of this is that to actually get empirical data on these things is tough because it ends up being activists and activist funders that push the research itself. And so knowing that to determine, to figure out that actually even then the research is very, very sparse, that's mm-hmm. very telling. Returning to your piece, you mentioned a letter that the Biden administration sent out to all state attorneys general warning that they needed to allow minors to go through this these procedures, yes. otherwise they might face some consequences. Can you go a little more in-depth Absolutely. about that Absolutely. So, so the White House, um, again, what, what the Biden White House is doing is this fo- following radical left activists mm-hmm. on this, so radical gender activists on this stuff. And they were told, well, there's some states that are actually putting the brakes on this. And so Texas, for instance, the attorney general, uh, it wasn't legislation. He just ruled that their, their laws that were in place uh, gave them all the authority they needed to be able to say that, at least in some cases, putting kids, like putting a girl on heavy doses of testosterone or mm-hmm. giving her a double mastectomy, not because she has breast cancer, but for gender-affirming purposes, that could, under certain circumstances, constitute child abuse. Mm-hmm. So that the state could, you could go in and, uh, you know, arrest a doctor, presumably, for doing this. And, and so that's terrified the White House and gender activists because other states are doing this now. Alabama has just passed a bill that's sort of comparable to that. There's discussion in Idaho and some other places. Uh, last year, actually, Arkansas passed a the SAFE Act is really good, designed basically to protect kids from these procedures. And so uh, the White House has not only sort of issued directives defining gender-affirming care, quote, uh, by HHS, but now telling states, okay, you can't prevent doctors from doing this effectively. Like, if you prevent doctors from doing this, this is like telling doctors that they can't give a child a blood transfusion Mm. to save her life. It's effectively that. So that states could actually be uh, in violation of federal law or or civil rights laws uh, if they they try to prevent these, these procedures. Does the Biden administration have a constitutional or legal framework work to do this is it it's you said that they're doing it sort of like oh you're refusing a child a blood transfusion yeah. is that the the framework that, the framework use? is essentially civil rights so obviously i mean states have regular police power states generally have jurisdiction over health mm-hmm. and welfare but of course the federal government has long been involved right. in this yeah. right and so whether it has to do with um you know it has to do with health insurance or whatever there, there's always a sort of federal hook on this and so mm-hmm. that's the, essentially the justification so what we're seeing is a lot of rulemaking uh and uh, on the you know 
know, sort of regulatory side through HHS to try to enforce this. And so at the, the same time uh, that that letter from the attorney general went out to state attorneys general, HHS, right, this other department, issued this sort of description really describing the Dutch protocol. And then the president uh, even had a, cor a corresponding video address on the same thing. So not very good at um, exiting Afghanistan, but remarkably well coordinated <laughs> when it came to pushing gender ideology. I hear this refrain from the left a bunch where they basically say this isn't actually an issue, where kids aren't being subjected to these surgeries until they're old enough. Is that true? No, that's a lie. And so different states have different rules for the final step of the Dutch protocol. So, for instance, surgical intervention in many cases mm -hmm. won't happen until 18. But in, in California and some of the western states, it can happen as young as 16. We know of girls that had mastectomies at 16. And even if you just don't talk about the, the, um, the surgeries, let's just talk about the hormonal interventions. If you give a girl heavy doses of testosterone for several years, uh, this causes her uterus to atrophy. It can mm -hmm. effectively sterilize her. Right. Um, and the same thing if you've got a boy, especially if he's prepubescent. So you, you delay puberty and then you give him estrogen. Uh, this can not only sterilize the child, it can actually make them so they don't they, they can't even function sexually. I don't want to be too graphic, sure. but essentially they could never have a satisfactory sexual life even after they're married, nor could they ever have children. I mean, right. that's other than killing someone, it's hard to think of a, a more dramatic effect that a medical intervention should have. And so the idea that we're going to just kind of rush this based on a very narrow base of evidence is, I think, unconscionable. Back to that sort of topic, you know, one of the things that I've noticed a lot of this story of a detransitioner, somebody who yes. goes through the procedure, finds out later that they were either in a, a bad place in their life and that they they made a hasty decision and then they go back. How does the Biden administration react to those types of stories? Have they acknowledged that being a thing? No acknowledgement whatsoever. And that's what's strange about this, because, I mean, we're getting more and more of these stories. Uh, you call them detransitioners. Others are desisters. So this would be someone that maybe socially transitioned and then tra changed their minds. Mm -hmm. There are these heartbreaking stories, though, uh, often of, of girls that go through this in their teenage years. They may get double mastectomies, uh, years of testosterone, which changes their facial structure and mm -hmm. their voice and things like that, and then realize it was all a terrible mistake. And they're mad because not not just their parents not only went along, but the doctors and the, the schools and the and the, the therapists all went along on this so-called uh, uh, affirmation uh, side, rather than just helping them deal with manifest psychological problems that they were having. Um, one of which manifested itself in terms of gender dysphoria, and so that's what's so bizarre about this. If you knew that even five percent of kids that were gender dysphoric resolve that by the time they're 18 or 20 years old. Mm -hmm. You'd want to be really careful, right? right. Uh, but what, what the Biden administration's policy is essentially assume anyone, any child, as soon as he presents, shows up at a Planned Parenthood clinic and says, you know, she wants uh, testosterone, that she is permanently in that state. When, in fact, we know that's not the case. We mm -hmm. know uh, that between 60 and 90 percent of kids that are gender dysphoric early in their teen years actually do work their way out of it and become comfortable with their their 
bodily sex right. by the time they're adults. In fact, for many people, puberty itself seems to be the cure for gender dysphoria. And so mm. the idea that we'd interfere with that is just really bizarre. Prior to this letter going out from the Biden administration and HHS, how had the administration been handling these types of topics? Well, and so we've been tracking this since, uh, uh, honestly, a year ago. So one of the very first things President Biden did uh, was issue an executive order sort of weighing heavily in favor uh, of, of gender ideology. Uh, there was an attempt to revive so-called Section 1557, which is a provision in Obamacare. Mm. Uh, which So this is a provision that had to do with non-discrimination. And they said, so by sex discrimination, we will include uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Right. Gender identity, that's the sort of term of art for the transgender issue. That was actually struck down. There was a, a permanent injunction placed on that by, uh, I think, the Sixth Circuit back in August. So you'd think that that strategy would be dead. Uh, but HHS is continuing to go forward with this. And in fact, we're waiting any day now for a rule to drop that will uh, essentially add sexual orientation and in particular gender identity to those provisions having to do with discrimination. And so what that means, that's a lot of regulatory speak, but what that means is that effectively if a health care plan or a hospital declined to perform mm. these gender affirming uh, procedures, they could be in violation of, of the law. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's what this means. Simply by a, essentially a word change, a redefinition of a term that's on the books, um, you as a doctor might not be free to decline, say, to give a young girl a double mastectomy who doesn't have breast cancer. Do we see there a there's a future sort of campaign from the Biden administration? We've seen what they're doing now with this letter. We've seen what they've done in the past. Do we have any idea what the future holds for this type of policy? Well, certainly the, there's an interest in this being funded. So it, it's one thing to say, OK, this is sort of permissible. Mm. It's another thing to say states can't prohibit it. It's still another to say sort of private uh, insurance companies can cover it, mm -hmm. must cover it. Right. Medicare, Medicaid coverage. So you could see essentially if you think, OK, if your goal was to make sure that as much of this kind of thing was happening as possible, uh, assume that is the goal of the Biden administration and Pretty much everything they're doing on this subject will make mm -hmm. perfect sense. That sounds like an exaggeration, but it's staggering uh, how much of a priority this is for this administration. We spoke a little bit about some of those state efforts like in Texas to push back against this stuff from the Biden administration. Yeah. Could you go into a little more detail about what those efforts look like? Absolutely. So in Texas, so I, I feel like I, look, I'm all for states doing whatever they need to do within the, you know, within the, right. the bounds of the law yeah. to prevent this from happening. But there are better and worse ways to deal with this. And so in Idaho, this almost passed, and then I think it died in the Senate. Uh, and in Idaho, they uh, were making these procedures a felony. Now, here's the problem is that the way it was framed, it wouldn't just go after the doctors that did it, but it might go after the parents. And mm. so, and this is our worry uh, really with what's happened in Texas by making this, defining these procedures as child abuse. Well, uh, uh, the parent, of course, could be guilty of child abuse. Now, yes, there are probably a few radical parents, and I see them online, you can read about them online, right, right. who are basically recruiting their children into this. But I'm telling you, I talk to parents every day 
week. And what's happening is that parents are really, other than the kids, the primary victims of this. So mm. parents get shell-shocked. They have a child. They have a daughter, right? They know they have a daughter. And their daughter comes home one day when she's 13 years old and says she's non-binary or says that she's really a girl or wants, mm. or wants to be a boy or really a boy. Um, and then the parent goes to the principal. They go to the therapist, right? They go to the pediatrician. And all of them say, yes, This if, if you want to have a live son rather than a dead daughter, uh, you're going to do this. And so parents are stuck in a bind. And so mm. what the states need to be doing is protecting the parents from the agents of transition, which includes physicians and medical clinics and therapists, and it also includes the schools. Mm. So uh, lawmakers need to focus both on what's happening in the schools, which is a recruiting frankly, that kind of recruiting right. ground for this stuff, and then focus on the standards of care. You got to do both of those things. So you got to fight the ideas, the way they're percolating, especially through the school authorities. And then you've got to prevent uh, the agents, which in this case are wearing white coats, from actually perpetrating these things. And what does that legislation look like? Does that look like state-level laws being passed against the schools? Or it, what does that look it, like? Well, I, honestly, at the moment, I think the best example is probably what's been done in Arkansas, which is called the SAFE Act. So essentially, it gives the parents the right uh, to sue. So you could go after doctors uh, who try to do this stuff. So it really it empowers the parents. So parents know they might be being told by their principal they're supposed to do that, but this. But the state's telling them, oh no, actually you can go after a doctor who does this. Mm -hmm. And then the, the state also goes after doctors' medical licenses, mm -hmm. and that and that puts a stop to it. And then add to that something like the Parental Rights and Education Bill that Governor. DeSantis just signed in Florida, mm -hmm. which insists on uh, transparency so that parents know what their kids are being taught, and then prohibits the introduction of sexual topics, sexual orientation and gender identity, especially in the young grades, because they're getting recruited with these ideas at school, mm -hmm. and then that's that's the start of this school to sterilization pathway, and then and then they find their way eventually to Planned Parenthood clinics and to medical clinics. That does bring to mind, I, I'm trying to imagine what a parent should do if their child, their son or daughter comes home and says, mom, I'm not the gender or the sex that I say I am yeah. or that you said I am. I am the opposite sex. What, yes. How do you respond to that? What's an appropriate way to respond? Well, the, the, the parents that help their kids get through this, uh, first of all, you want to help your child work through it. Very often kids, especially if there's uh, especially girls that are on the autism spectrum, mm. will have these very rigid ideas of what it means to be a boy or a girl. So it's one thing to say we're sexually binary and our genders correspond to our sex. It's another thing to say, well, you know, if you don't like playing football, you're a girl. Mm. Um, and if you yeah. like playing musical instruments, you're a girl, right? right or right. if you like playing baseball, you must be a boy, right? So very often um, what we're dealing with is overly narrow and rigid gender stereotypes. And so what we really want to help people realize is, look, we're a sexually binary species. Mm. We're all either male or female. Our genders are our social expression of that. But the way in which we express our gender, it it, it falls along a, a bell-shaped curve, right? There's a spectrum. And so there's gender atypical behavior. You may be a girl that's gender atypical. You may be a tomboy. Mm. That doesn't mean you are a boy. Right, right. It means you're a girl that likes some things that are more typically boys like. That's all it means. Mm -hmm. And we used to know this. It's only in the last 10 or 15 years that we managed to forget this, uh, this obvious lesson. It does bring to mind an interesting idea because a lot of people have almost said that gender shouldn't exist as a concept anyway because sex is really all that matters.
matters, right? When you look at a boy or a girl, it's you are a boy biologically. You have all the sexual characteristics of a boy. You are a girl. Is gender even relevant anymore? Well, so here's the problem is that the word gender and sex used to be more or less synonyms. We dropped the word sex mm-hmm. when referring to male and female at some point in my childhood, and it, it became gender, mm-hmm. right? And then that would have been okay if gender was still connected to sex, but gender then, there was a total body replacement so that now when we're talking about gender, we're talking about gender identity. And gender identity is this entirely subjective idea, right? It's just whatever your impression is in your head of your gender, not of your mm-hmm. sex, right? So it's actually a circular definition. And so some conservatives say, well, let's just not use gender at all. That's a little bit I think, it's overly draconian. What we need to say, I think the precise way of saying it is that sex is male or female. Gender is masculine and feminine. We still have that category. And so your, gen- your gender is the social expression of your biological sex. So just as there's two sexes, there's two genders, uh, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. What you have to be careful of is making sure that when people are talking about gender, they're not really replacing the sexual binary with gender identity. That's mm. the, because the gender ideology, what gender ideologists want to do is they want to replace biological sex as a thing we discover about each other with an entirely subjective social construct or with something that's entirely inside a person's head. And the only way you can find out what somebody's gender is, that is their gender identity, mm-hmm. is by asking them. Um, and that's at that point, gender has been entirely separated from bodily reality. Right, right. As we wrap up here, I'm curious, for those of us who maybe are not parents, who don't have to deal with this directly, Mm -hmm. what should we be doing to push back against things like the Biden administration are doing or you know, congressional representatives who are pushing transgender ideology. Honestly, I think a a lot of the fight is going to happen around the dinner table. Mm -hmm. So I think everyone that's a parent needs to inform themselves. If you don't, you need to know how to explain this. Read Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally. Read Abigail Schreer's book, Irreversible Damage. And then find out what's happening in your school board in your local districts. Because a lot of these fights, I think they're going to take place, not necessarily at the national or the, even the state level. They're going to happen at the level of school board. So find out what's being taught in your local schools, especially in the younger grades. Uh, if they don't want to tell you, that means they're doing something bad. Uh, and if you find out more often than not, unfortunately, just because you live in Florida or Texas doesn't mean it's not mm-hmm. happening there, too. This stuff isn't just happening in California. It's happening all over the country. But most of it's happening with because parents don't know. They're not paying attention and they, they haven't been told. And so, mm-hmm. I, honestly, I think once parents wake up, I think this this has a very short half-life at that point. Knowledge is power. Yeah. My guest today was Jay Richards, the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow in Heritage's DeVos Center for Religion and Civil Society. Jay, very much appreciate your time. Great to be with you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.